Chapter 14, Garrison's Last Stand. As quickly as things are done, they are also undone. Three weeks after Lincoln's death, William Lloyd Garrison, who had been steady on his anti-racist journey, producing anti-racist literature in The Liberator, including his critiques of Lincoln's racist political ploys and his work for the American Anti-Slavery Society, called it quits. He announced his retirement. He believed that because emancipation was imminent, his job as an abolitionist was done. But his team, his followers, refused to stop their work and instead shifted their focus to Black voting, a focus that leaned toward immediate equality. And while Garrison was trying to bow out gracefully, Lincoln's successor was forcefully breaking in and breaking down what had been, for Black people, a breakthrough. His name was Andrew Johnson, and he basically reversed a lot of Lincoln's promises, allowing Confederate states to bar Blacks from voting and making sure their emancipation was upheld only if Black people didn't break laws. Black codes, social codes used to stop Black people from living freely, were created. They would quickly evolve into Jim Crow laws, which were laws that legalized racial segregation. No need for the loopholes anymore. All this was under President Johnson's watch. He emboldened the Ku Klux Klan, allowing them to wreck Black lives with no consequence and enshrine those racist codes and laws. Turned out, freedom in America was like quicksand. It looked solid until a Black person tried to stand on it. Then it became clear that it was a sinkhole. Anti-racists were fighting against all these things. Some people, like Pennsylvania Congressman Thaddeus Stevens, even fought for the redistribution of land to award former slaves 40 acres to work for themselves. But the arguments against this plan were relentless and racist, presented in this strange way that makes the freed Black person seem stupid. How will they know how to care for the land if it's given to them? Hmm, really? And guess who was quiet? William Lloyd Garrison. Having suffered two bad falls in 1866 that physically sidelined him, he chose not to engage in the political struggle against racial discrimination. But he still looked on, watching the racist roadblocks being erected at every turn and the political and physical violence working to break the bones of Black liberation. Yes, Garrison still looked on, his ideas about gradual equality still evolving. After all, it had been his genius, whether he knew it or not, that had transformed abolitionism from a messy political stance like Jefferson's to a simple moral stance. Slavery was evil, and those racists justifying or ignoring slavery were evil, and it was the moral duty of the United States to eliminate the evil of slavery. Boom. Andrew Johnson was one of the evil. He did everything he could to keep Black people as quote-unquote free 
slaves. In response, Black people had to fight to build their own institutions, their own spaces to thrive, like colleges, or as they are now called, historically Black colleges and universities, HBCUs. From there came the Black male politician. And eventually, on February 3rd, 1870, the 15th Amendment was made official. The amendment made it so that no one could be prohibited from voting due to race, color, or previous condition of servitude. But the thing about this amendment, as well as the 13th and 14th, was that there were loopholes, racist loopholes, potholes. See, the amendment doesn't state that black politicians would be protected or that the voting requirements would be equal. Even so, racists didn't want the amendment to be pushed through because they saw giving the right to vote to all black people as the establishment of some kind of black supremacy. Really, it was just black equality, black opportunity. Black people from Boston to Richmond to Vicksburg, Mississippi planned grand celebrations after the ratification. For their keynote speaker, several communities invited a living legend back to the main stage, William Lloyd Garrison. The 15th Amendment was a big deal, but here's the thing about big deals. If people aren't careful, they can be tricked into believing a big deal is a done deal. Like there's no more fight left. No reason to keep pushing. That freedom is an actual destination. And that's how Garrison and the American Anti-Slavery Society felt, like their jobs were done. They disbanded in 1870. Everyone let their guard down, and the racists were right there with right hooks and uppercuts to the face of freedom. Bring on the right white terrorism. Bring on more propaganda about brute and savage blacks. Bring on black people doing their best to fight back. Black empowerment. Bring on women fighting back. Woman empowerment. Bring on political pacifiers. Bring on more talks about colonization, this time to the Dominican Republic. Bring on domestic migration to Kansas, freedom from a second slavery. It was this black people moving to safer pastures like Kansas that William Lloyd Garrison supported at the end of his life. With black people eager to leave the South, eager to give themselves a chance at safety, Kansas seemed to make more sense than the ever-present conversation of colonization to Africa or even the North, or the Far West. Northern allies worked tirelessly to raise money for Southern Black people who wanted to flee Mississippi or Louisiana. Garrison, now 74, his abolitionist heart still pumping, exhausted himself gathering resources for hundreds of Black people on the move toward Kansas. It was the best he could do. He'd wanted immediate emancipation, he now even wanted immediate equality. Neither of those things happened during the Reconstruction after Civil War, and neither of them would in his lifetime.